Are you feeling stuck, lost, or confused about what to do next in your career? Then the Manifest Your Career podcast is just right for you. I'm your host, Dr. Norma Reyes, a career mindset coach. I help successful Latinas who are battling self-doubt, self-sabotage, and imposter syndrome. I teach my clients how to combine their intuition, skills, and knowledge so that they can manifest their dream career. It's time you start listening to your inner wisdom and guidance. Tune in each week to the Manifest Your Career podcast and learn how to align your mindset to your career goals. Keep listening and together we'll manifest your dream career. everyone welcome back this is episode 73 and today i have another guest interview for you she'll be sharing her career journey from being an elementary school teacher to becoming an entrepreneur today's guest is leslie alegria she's an experienced hr recruiting and career development professional she founded alegria hr consulting to support mission-driven companies and employees with hr recruiting and career coaching services she takes pride in providing high quality and individualized services so people can get the specific support and resources they need to achieve their goals. Leslie comes from a Peruvian heritage and was born and raised in San Francisco before graduating from Cornell University, then moving to Greenville, South Carolina. You can learn more about her services at AlegriaConsulting.com. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get started. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. The first question I always love to ask is, can you tell us about your family background? Where did you grow up and whom did you live with? Yeah, for sure. And I'm so excited to be here. Always really fun to be able to connect and to chat and all that good stuff. So a little bit about my family background. I was born and raised in San Francisco and my parents are actually both from Peru. So my mom is from Lima. My dad's from a small town called Yata and both of them immigrated from Peru to San Francisco in the early nineties. I was born in San Francisco and then my sister was born in San Francisco. So it was always just the four of us as like our nuclear unit. And honestly, San Francisco is actually a huge, huge part of our story because for a very, very long time, my parents were actually undocumented. And so we didn't leave San Francisco. That was our place, our playground, where we went to school, where we learned how to rollerblade, all that good stuff. So we grew up there. And we were really lucky that we also had an auntie and uncle and two amazing cousins in San Francisco as well. But again, really tight knit family, but it was always the four or the eight of us doing all the things together. And only recently did we actually leave San Francisco. So during the pandemic in November, 2020, we actually moved from San Francisco to Greenville, South Carolina. So now that's where I'm based at, but it's been really fun just to be able to realize how special San Francisco has been in terms of my upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. So much to unpack there, really, if you think about it. A lot of people don't realize that when people are undocumented, you basically 
don't go anywhere, especially in Texas or if you live really close to the border, because Border Patrol is everywhere. And I mean, not that Border Patrol is even stopping you. I mean, I've never been stopped by Border Patrol. But, you know, the risk of being caught can really keep people from really living life. So I can understand probably what your parents were feeling in that. And then you move from San Francisco to the other coast, to the whole other side. Yes. <laughs> You'll have to tell us more about that here in a bit. But to keep us on track, because I will sidetrack us way too many times. Um, when you were young mm -hmm. and people asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, what do you recall telling them? It's a great question. And actually, as I was prepping for this, I, so I still have like my baby albums and all of these little scrapbooks that my mom made when we were younger and we brought them to South Carolina. And so that move again, I'll, I'll share more about that, but I pulled up one of my scrapbooks the other day and fun fact, the thing that I said when I was in kindergarten that I wanted to be was actually the cash register lady at JCPenney. That was what I wanted to be when I was younger. It totally makes sense. Like we were at JCPenney all the time. And now in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, the cash register lady had all the money, had all of our money. So of course I wanted to be the cash register lady. <laughs> but in all seriousness, outside of that, uh, the thing that I always talked about from according to these scrapbooks from kindergarten all the way through fifth grade was actually I wanted to be a teacher. And it was around third grade. I remember my parents bought us a whiteboard for our bedroom. Me and my sister, we shared our bedroom. We're really close. She's my best friend. And I remember distinctly, we had our two little twin beds, whiteboard next to one of them. And I would have her sit down and I would have the marker and I would be walking through a lesson. And it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. Like I need to figure out how I can become a teacher. Then middle school and high school, it did shift. I actually thought that I wanted to be a lawyer. And the reason I wanted to be a lawyer was because at that time is when my parents back to their documentation status and all of that, we were actually working with a lot of lawyers to make sure that we were on some sort of track for them to be able to get their papers and interacting with the lawyers and getting to know them and seeing the power that they held to be able to help my parents navigate such a complicated system. I was like, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to be part of somebody's story and be able to support them through such a complicated system and to be able to live a life where they can you know, travel freely amongst other things, of course, but just like have that relief. And so it's interesting kind of reflecting back on that from cash register lady at JCPenney to teacher, lawyer. I actually wanted to be a lawyer up until I went to college. And then that's when things shifted a bit. Yeah. It's always so interesting to hear, but it's what's influences us is how can we help our parents, right? Especially as children of immigrants, when I don't, I don't think that there's anyone that I haven't heard say like, I wanted to do something that was going to help my parents, whether, you know, it's being a lawyer or, you know, maybe working in the government and dealing with certain type of work that works directly with immigrants. All of those things. I never wanted to be a teacher. I will say that's not something I ever wanted it's to be. I was case. told that I should be. <laughs> I was often told, you know, you should consider teaching. I'm like, no. But I did like to play teacher as a kid. I think everyone probably did that at one point. Mm -hmm. oh, everybody sit down. I'm going to teach you today. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> so now you kind of talked a little bit already about some of the 
career role models that you had, were there any more that you imagined yourself like, aside from the ones that you've already mentioned? Yeah, I think for me, I feel like I've been really fortunate where I've had like a few career role models. Back to my parents, like they were actually career role models for me in terms of being able to set out your own path. So my mom was an executive assistant in Peru. When she immigrated, she started babysitting and cleaning houses and then built her own house cleaning business, which afforded us to be able to go to you know private Catholic school and, and on all of that. My dad worked in construction. He ended up doing freelance construction work and so things on his own, which was really inspiring. So from them, I feel like the role model was really focused on like work ethic and persistence and feeling fearless in pursuing something on your own. And so that was really inspiring. Once I started getting into the workforce, I actually got my first job at 16. So I was pretty young and I was working at a commercial real estate firm and I was the assistant of the executive assistant of the CEO of this commercial real estate firm. And I adored my manager and I really look, still look up to her and we still keep in touch but being able to see, you know, how she navigated her work and how she was able to balance all the things for me was really inspiring and just observing other people in that setting, like how they carried themselves, even the words that they used to talk about things that frankly, I had no idea what commercial real estate was. I feel like I only recently learned what that was. <laughs> that was so powerful. And that was, I saw all those people as role models. And so those different groups were really influential. And of course, you know, my teachers were huge too. And I was always a student growing up where I just really, I loved school. I appreciated school. I loved that through a book, I can be transported somewhere else. You know, we didn't travel a whole ton, but I could read about something like pretend like I was there, like pretend like, you know, I'm going across the world and being able to get exposure to different cultures and everything. And like seeing my teachers be so passionate about the work that they were doing for me, I was like, okay, I really want to be passionate about the work I'm doing too. And so even though what I would ultimately do did shift a few times and I've gone through a number of career changes, <laughs> that passion that my teachers showed, that was huge. And so uh, the fearlessness from my parents, their courage, the passion from my teachers, and then being able to see in like a more corporate setting, how people carried themselves and how they interacted with each other. That was also really inspiring. Thank you. So I always like to ask how or what your educational background went. Like, can you tell us, can you walk us through from maybe when you graduated high school and then you went to college and if you went to get on a master's or what you did after college? Yeah, for sure. So just to like bring it to the very beginning, I was actually rejected from pre-K, which is the biggest irony of all, because I ended up teaching pre-K, <laughs> but my whole K through 12 education was in the Catholic private school system in San Francisco. And so, you know, K through eight, got to know my teachers, students, really small 30 person class, get to build relationships that way. High school too, we had like uh, 315 students in our grade. And then going to college was pivotal. So I was the first in my family to go to college within like our nuclear unit. My oldest cousin was the, the trailblazer. She was the first to go to college in our extended family. But for me, I graduated from Sacred Heart Cathedral in San Francisco and then went to Cornell University for undergrad. And not only being the first, but also going to a school literally on the opposite coast was a huge moment because as you recall from the beginning, we didn't really go on vacations. We didn't really leave San Francisco. 
was actually my first time on an airplane going to college. And so I remember needing to Google what is a layover because I was like, I don't know what that means. But going from San Francisco to upstate New York. So I lived in Ithaca for four years while I attended Cornell. That was truly transformational as well. And so I studied sociology at Cornell. Uh, I minored in visual studies. And the the focus there was pre-Columbian cultures, which I really appreciated. But high school and college, both of those experiences, I think, were transformational, but just game-changing experiences for not only myself, but my entire family. Because in high school, I was really fortunate to be part of two really distinct programs within my high school. So the first program was called the Puro Scholar Program, and they focus on underrepresented high school students with high potential to go to college and support you literally like wraparound services, like helping you with tuition and books and resources, but also a lot of the socio-emotional journey of, you know, being at a competitive high school and getting ready for college. And so they would have a lot of like child less for your parents so that they can learn more about what that journey would be like, and then sessions with us to get us mentally prepared. And then the other program was the DePaul Scholar Program. And that was like super academic and was one of those programs where, you know, you took extra classes, which again, I loved school. So I loved that, but it was really neat because we got to explore a lot of academic pursuits. So for a semester, you actually, essentially, it's almost like doing a a thesis So you work on something that's really inspiring to you. And I actually focused on learning about Latin American painters, specifically female Latin American painters. And then you have to learn how to paint in one of their mediums. And so I learned how to oil paint and it was so fun and so enriching, but it was cool being able to figure out how I can merge both of those identities and then bring that to Cornell and really channel that in college. Wow. That sounds like a super amazing experience. Mine was nothing like that, but just as just as <laughs> going to college, whether you go away very far or not very far, it really does grow you as a person if you allow it to, right? Because mm-hmm. there's plenty of people who go to college and they're the same person that went in. So any type of growth, any type of learning is really going to change you if you allow it in transformation. Absolutely. And I will say like college for me was no walk in the park. Because academically, I was like, okay, like, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm prepared, but like mentally and emotionally and just culturally, it was a huge shock that, you know, Cornell's a predominantly white institution. You have people from all over the world, which is so fun too, right? But it's also a very wealthy institution. And so for me, you know, hearing people like, oh yeah, I go on vacations every year with my family. I was like, what? Like, (laughs) how and just learning all of these different ways of living was really eye-opening but for me I actually found a lot of solace and a lot of comfort in academia ironically right like because a lot of times it's academia that's like oh I don't know like this is the part that's really stressful but for me it was actually studying sociology as my major that helped me make sense of some of the feelings that I was having being in this predominantly white wealthy space So that's one way that I kind of started figuring out my place in the world and how different systems were working against me, for me, with me, and figuring out just like the systemic side of society and where I fit in. And so I'm glad that I ended up majoring in that. I wouldn't change that for the world, but definitely college was, it was a whole other experience. 
Yeah. And, you know, academia, I think as a student is a wonderful place. I think it's more if you're a professional in academia that it becomes a little more mm -hmm. double edged, right? Because it's the dream for some, but then you're also having to give up a part of yourself to mm -hmm. be living that dream. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. So now you went to college. Can you share with us how you finished college and how your career unfolded to where you are now? Yeah. So college really prepped me for the career in, in a number of different ways. Um, so studying sociology, studying systems and groups and like how groups think and learning words and like microaggressions or groupthink, those things really set me up to be able to understand some of honestly, the, like icky experiences that I would experience in the workforce that I hadn't experienced yet, but I was bound to, and I did. And so having that language was really helpful. Cause I was like, oh, that made me feel really crappy. And I would unpack it. And I was like, oh, why did that make me feel some type of way? Oh, it was because it was a microaggression. Okay. Got it. Let's figure out what can I do now? And so the, the academic part prepared me, but also, I actually ended up having a number of different internships in college. So I mentioned I started working at 16 in college, literally the first week I needed to figure out how I was going to pay for my expenses. Actually, the moment I graduated high school, I financially needed to basically take care of myself. And so I was lucky enough to have different scholarships and grants um, to be able to cover most of my studies, but I still had to work. So I remember week one, I was like, all right, cool. I have to put myself out there and interview. And so I ended up landing this awesome job that took me literally all of college. Uh, so four years, I was interning at the HR office at the School of Architecture, Art and Planning. And that was so fun. It was a student assistant job, right? But I took it so seriously, <laughs> like I would dress the part, I would make sure that I was always there on time. And I was there so early in the morning, I think it was like 745 every morning. And mind you, in, in Ithaca spring semester, it's in the negatives in January, it's so cold. And I'm a San Francisco girl, like through and through. So I'm only used to 55 to 65 degrees, anything above or below, I'm like freaking out. So you know, wake up early, it was freezing, but I'd get to work on time, wearing my slacks and like cardigan, the whole nine. And that really prepared me just for a life of building consistency and routine and just making sure that I was just showing up and like on time and all those different details. So that was really helpful. But outside of that, I actually ended up getting a few jobs on top of that main job. So that was like my steady job all four years. Outside of that, I also interned at the museum on campus. So I was the school and family education coordinator. And that was really fun. I got to lead tours. I ended up actually leading a tour in Spanish, which was really fun. And then creating activities for students to participate in when they come and visit the museum so that they can engage with the art pieces. And so that was really meaningful. I also ended up working as a student assistant uh, in the public service center. And so I founded a club that helped um, sixth graders specifically get exposure to college early, early, early on. And so they would do a project where they would make a mock application for Cornell. And then I was the one who was like helping coordinate with other student leaders, reviewing those applications, bringing them on campus for a tour, doing mock classes. Like it was really, really fun. 
And so did that. And then every summer I, I interned somewhere. So first summer I was a conference assistant. Second summer I was interning with Teach for America. My third summer I actually interned at Nordstrom because I thought I wanted to go into fashion. I did not go into fashion. <laughs> Can barely dress myself. But I got exposure to different fields because I have lots of passions and lots of interests. And I wanted to figure out what I wanted to do after college graduation. And I figured internships were the best way to get exposure. And so, you know, had my study roles, but got intense exposure into different fields just to get a taste of it and figure out what I wanted to do. Yeah, that's amazing. I wish I had had that kind of motivation. I had jobs in the summer, but they were just jobs. They were definitely not internships. So then you graduate college. So what's your first quote unquote real job? Because all of these are real jobs that are really helping you build your skills. Mm -hmm. But what was your first job after you got your degree? Yeah, good question. So my first job out of college was actually teaching. And so I got to fulfill one of those dreams <laughs> that little Leslie really wanted to carry out. So I was a bilingual pre-K teacher in San Francisco, and I was able to secure this position through Teach for America. So my junior year of college, I actually applied to Teach for America early. Um, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I knew I wanted to be in the classroom. Um, I figured if I knew where I was going to work after college graduation, then I could have enough leeway and like prep time to be able to mentally prepare, but also develop the skills to make me a more effective teacher. And so I applied my junior year, I got into TFA, I knew I was going to be a teacher, didn't know what grade exactly until senior year. But I knew I would be a teacher. So I actually ended up just lesson planning and facilitating and everything. Graduated May 2014. And then it was like, what, three weeks later was in Los Angeles for something called Summer Institute, where they like train you to be a teacher in less than two months. And so it's really intense, barely sleeping and all that good stuff. And that was like my first exposure to like, okay, here's this new world, this new setting. And then I flew back to San Francisco and I started teaching for the school year. I taught at a Head Start and then I taught in the district. And so those two years were immensely eye-opening because I not only was like, wow, I've been able to fulfill this dream of teaching that I've had for so long, but it was also the first time I was like, oh my gosh, this dream that I've had is no longer my dream. And this isn't for me. And I remember just having a moment, many moments of panic because I was like, you know, I'm a Capricorn. So I love to plan and work hard and you know all that. But it was a moment where I was like, I've been working towards teaching for so much of my life. And now that I'm here, I don't want to be here. And it was actually like one of the biggest moments in my life where I need to figure out like, okay, what am I, what am I going to do? And how am I going to pivot from here? Because at that time it actually felt like I was failing. It felt like I had failed myself and my own dreams and like younger me. So it was definitely a challenging time. Yeah, definitely. Especially you spent all these years in time and committed yourself. And then all of a sudden you're like, I don't like this. And what am I going to do? Right. And we get that feeling of like, we've spent all of this time and now we're throwing that all away when really in reality, you didn't throw any of that time away because all of that was so beneficial to you in so many different ways. But at the time, it's so hard to see 
that because all you seen is like now I want something different and I don't even know where I want to go exactly. so where did you go what did you do yeah <laughs> well I cried <laughs> every day um it was around that time that I also met my now husband and so he was my shoulder to cry on and it's oddly enough he's now a teacher so the, the tears and the stories did not scare him but you know I think after I was honest with myself and I was honest with myself in the sense that I was like okay like I don't want to be a teacher and that's okay because I did feel a lot of guilt and a lot of shame in saying that I didn't want to be a teacher anymore for a number of reasons not only was it the thing that I wanted to do for so long but I also knew that my role as a teacher was so important and it's not just like okay I'm gonna leave my job and they're gonna backfill it like, no, I have at that time, 37 students and their families and they're, you know, included in their families as their siblings and everyone that I've gotten to meet and build relationships with that now I have to tell them that I'm no longer going to be there. So going through the journey of accepting that I didn't want to be a teacher anymore and then figuring out like, okay, what skills do I have? And actually sitting down, I remember distinctly like sitting down at a coffee shop, I had a notebook. And I just started writing out all the things that I knew I could do well. And I was like, okay, well, you know, engaging students, like I'm really good at that. Talking to parents, I'm really good at that. Connecting parents to different opportunities and, you know, connecting students to different organizations. I'm really good at that. And just writing all of that down. And I remember I was like, okay, I have no idea what kind of job I can have with all these skills. And at the time I also looked at those skills and I was like, these are soft skills. Like no one's going to want to hire me. Like these are soft skills. Like I was in San Francisco at that time, you know, similar to now, you know, tech was everywhere. And I was like, they're over there trying to hire software engineers. I'm not a software engineer. How on earth am I going to get a job? And so I remember I was like, okay, well, I know I'm not the first one to ever go through this. Like that's ridiculous. So I went on LinkedIn and I started searching teachers, like just teacher. And then I remember like, lots of people came up and so then I filtered I was like okay teacher in like teach for America and then I was like okay like you know smaller pool of people and then I was like okay teacher and then I added another word like program manager and then like all these people started coming up and I was like okay cool so I started looking through some profiles and I saw that there were a lot of people who had transitioned from teacher to nonprofit program manager recruiter um, marketing, like all these different positions. And I was like, great, I just need to get on the phone with them. And so I remember I just went down the list and I started sending cold outreach messages. And I was like, Hey, my name is Leslie. You know, I'm a, I'm a teacher. I see you were a teacher, basically just trying to pull those connections, um, sent out tons. I think at the end of this, like maybe nine month period, I reached out to like, definitely over a hundred people. Not everybody responded. And I was like, you know, it is what it is, but the people who did were so kind and they shared a ton of different knowledge and resources and tips and advice. And that notebook where I started writing out all the things that I was like, okay, you know, self-inventory, here's what I'm good at. And that's where I added all the notes from every call. And I started pulling themes and I was like, okay, it sounds like with my experience as a teacher, but also all my internship experience and just who I am as a professional, you know, maybe recruiting could be a path. And I remember I Googled, I was like jobs that help other people get jobs. And like recruiting came up too. I was like, okay, I'm seeing a theme there. 
But I remember I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready to go into recruiting quite yet. You know, I want to do something different where I still get to support my community. And by my community, I mean the Latino community, you know, uh, folks coming from underrepresented backgrounds, Black and Indigenous people of color, folks coming from low-income backgrounds. And I was like, I want to be able to like, be in that space and to help us move forward. And I just don't know what to do. So I remember going back to Google because I'm a millennial. I just kept researching. And then I came across this organization called Braven. And I called outreach the executive director. And they had a program manager job open. And I was like, hey, <laughs> here's my story. I see you have this job open. I linked it. It's like attaches my resume. I would love to interview. And I just shot my shot. And I remember like closing my computer and I was like, so be it. If she responds, amazing. If not, it's okay. And she responded. And so I was able to go through the interview process um, and I'm able to, to land this new role using a lot of the transferable skills from teaching. I love that. I love that. And then, you know, it's so Capricorn of you. So those listening her are thinking, oh my God, like there's no possible way that I could have done all of that. No, you know, we all have different strengths. A Virgo is also another person who's like, oh, I can do that. I love research. Virgos and Capricorns love the details and all of those things. But I love that you shared that because a lot of times people only see right? Like transitions, like you were a teacher and now you did this and now you're doing this and they don't see all of the hard work that goes, that goes on behind the scenes. So now you have that, take us on to your next roles that you've had since then. Yeah, there's been a a few. (laughs) So after Braven, I was there for two years and within that role as a program manager, And I'm sure, you know, program managers listening are like, yeah, we wear multiple hats. Like as cliche as it sounds, it's true. So I was, you know, recruiting, I was doing a little bit of marketing. I was doing a lot of operations work. And in that role, a big part of my scope of work was to recruit students at San Jose State to join the program. And I loved that. And I thought it was so fun. And I got to connect with a lot of students and it was very you know, a mix of building relationships, figuring out how you can track your progress, use a lot of data, you've got metrics, all of that. And I remember I was like, okay, well, when I did my initial research during the transition into Braven, that recruiter role kept popping up. And so I actually looked back at my notes and it's interesting because my, my skill set expanded in my two years at Braven and my exposure and my knowledge and also my sense of awareness, but a lot of my passions only got deeper. And so the passions that I had around supporting underrepresented talent, supporting folks to be able to get economic success, being able to land strong jobs, like that never changed. And so I was like, okay, let's look back at my notes. Let's see what I learned then. And let's see what I can learn now with my two years of knowledge. And so I, again, did something similar. I started researching again, but this time it was a little bit more focused. So I specifically focused on getting to know recruiters. I was like, okay, what do y'all do? Like, what do you do every day? What does it look like? What's the, you know, what are the metrics you're working towards? What are your goals? How are you assessed? You know, what does career growth look like? And as I was listening more and more, I was like, okay, this actually seems like a really great career path for me. Luckily around that time, I started putting some feelers out and I think 
reached out. So Bank was a recruiting partner organization and Bank ended up getting acquired by Robinhood after I left and everything. But that just gives you a testament. Like they were this like recruiting powerhouse. And so they reached out to me and we got to know each other. They had a really long interview process. But I remember the more that I got to know that team, the more I was like, wow, this is for me. Like these folks are also just as passionate about connecting talent to opportunities. And so it was a a moment where I was like, this feels like the right move. And so I ended up joining Bank. My time there was a little short. So I ended up staying at Bank for about six months and got to work on, you know, three different projects, which was really fun. So with three different companies, but around the six month mark, I actually ended up getting recruited by my former manager to join his team within tech. It was at a tech startup and to really help on the technical recruiting side of the house. And that's when things got really interesting. I ended up staying at that company for about a year and a half or so. And that's actually where I met some of my dearest friends and really got to do some meaningful work, got to recruit a ton of different software engineers and product managers and really build relationships with them. And I still keep in touch with a lot of them to this day. But that was a moment where I also realized like, wow, I really love recruiting. I really love technical recruiting. And I really love doing DEI work and learning and development work within recruiting. And so I realized how expansive the recruiting world can be. From there, I was like, okay, let's continue doing this. At that same time, I also realized I loved coaching. And so again, kind of throwing it back to college days where I had so many passions and interests, I was like, oh, wow, like I love recruiting, learning and development. I love working on diversity and inclusion initiatives, but I also love coaching people. And I really love coaching one-on-one. And so I started doing some just one-off coaching on the side. So after I was at that tech company, I ended up transitioning into a little bit more HR roles, but then I also transitioned into like a formalized coaching role. And that's when things got really interesting because at that moment, not only was I doing recruiting, but I was also doing career coaching. And I knew those were the two things that I wanted to make sure that I was doing for a very, very long time. And so Ended up having a few freelance opportunities to do both, a few full-time opportunities to do both, but have stayed in that world up until today. I still do that, but now I get to do it under my own business, which is really fun. Yeah, which you'll be sharing with us soon. But before we get there, I also like to ask people, what have been some of your career challenges and then how did you overcome those? Which you kind of gone into that some with a lot of the research, a lot of the very thoughtful before taking action, but what are some other challenges maybe that you faced? Yeah. Some career challenges I would say is one that was very prevalent early on in my career was feeling like I wasn't qualified enough for a lot of roles, which in retrospect now, when I like retell my story, I'm like, but I had so many different jobs and like experiences. But at the time I was like, I don't think I'm good enough. Like, I don't think I'm going to be able to land this job. Like I don't have you know, hard technical skills or I remember for a while, I actually thought the fact that I was so good at operations was really limiting because I was like, I'm so good at operations. People just see me as a person who gets things done. Like they don't see me as like subject matter expert, which, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, but getting stuff done is like a huge <laughs> positive thing. So I think one of the challenges for me was actually my own mindset 
at the very beginning of my career journey, just feeling like I wasn't good enough or I wasn't qualified enough. I would say the other challenge that really came up after kind of working on the mindset pieces. And I will say like, I started working with a leadership coach, you know, started working with a therapist and all of that. And that was really helpful. The other piece that I started realizing was once you're in the role and then you're crushing it and you're doing really well, figuring out how to advocate for yourself, like that for me was a huge challenge. So in one of my roles, I remember I was like, I want a promotion. And so I Googled how to do it. I like filled out my packet, a packet that didn't exist. I created it for myself and I like filled it out and I pitched it to my manager and they were like, mm, I don't know. This is, you know, the timing doesn't feel right. And I was like, what do you mean? Like I'm exceeding all my goals. Like it just doesn't make sense. And then I remember I got feedback saying that I needed to learn how to advocate for myself. And I was like, but that's what I'm trying to do. I don't, I'm, I feel really stuck. And that was for me a moment where I was like, oh, even if I am advocating for myself, that might not be enough. Or I need to figure out how to essentially navigate these systems that weren't really designed to always recognize talent and like promote us and everything, figure out how to navigate that so that I can also continue growing and, and moving up in my career. I would say the third thing that I learned was how to leave a company, how to leave an organization. I hate quitting. Like maybe that's also the Capricorn in me. Like I just hate to quit. I just, I don't know. I'm like, okay, I'm going to finish this through. I'm going to show that we can do this, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the challenges for me was actually learning how to say like enough is enough and I need to quit. At one point I actually gave six month notice, which is insane. Don't recommend that. It's not like I was like CEO or anything. Like it literally didn't make sense for me to give such long notice but I just didn't know how to quit. I didn't know how to leave a company. I didn't know when to call it. And only I would say in the last couple of years, have I realized like, okay, like now I'm self-aware enough that I'm like, okay, this is the moment where I need to leave. And it's okay. It's okay to like put yourself first. It's okay to, you know, focus on your mental health on your physical health. And if you're not growing somewhere, like it's okay to look elsewhere because there are also so many different opportunities out there. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing that. So I always like to ask, what is some of the worst career advice that you've received? Worst career advice, I would say has been to always put your career first. Like that's actually been the, like, I remember distinctly when someone who was like very high up in a very well-known technology company told me, you know, the only way that you can move up in your career is if you put your career first, second, third. And I remember at the time I was like, I don't know if I could do that because I'm also really close to my family and I, my marriage is also really important to me and I'm really important to me. <laughs> like I like having time for myself. Um, and I, I was like, oh my gosh, so I guess I'm never going to be able to, you know, have the career of my dreams. And I remember after hearing that, one, I actually, I decided that person was not going to be a mentor of mine because that wasn't really in line with my values. But second of all, I was like, wow, okay. Like this is a belief that some people hold and I can choose to believe that or not. And I actually chose not to believe that. I was like, I don't have to put my career first to have a successful career. I can you know, honor my career, but also honor my marriage and my relationship with my parents and my sister and my friends and myself, most importantly. So that career advice is, I would put 
um, one of the worst career advice that I've gotten. Yeah, that is pretty bad. But it, it also gives you that, right? You get to see where they are and then decide, well, that's not going to be true for me. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of inner strength too, especially if it's from someone that you considered I want them to mentor me. I want to be where they are, wherever that is, maybe not necessarily in their role, but in the similar type of affluence, I guess is the word. But then to hear that, that can also be kind of so crushing, right? If you let it, mm-hmm. but instead you took that as all right, learning opportunity, which is what we all need to do. And we hear advice that doesn't ring true to us, right? Maybe someone out there does believe that and that's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with believing it. I just know that not everyone not everyone has to believe it either. Okay. That's true. So what's the best career advice you've had? Mm, best career advice. So I have been so fortunate that one of my dear, dear friends and mentor, business partner, all the things, her name's Jabu. She has been able to share so much positive and great career advice. So it's funny when I think of the top 10, I'm pretty sure she's like, she has one through eight. (laughs) So she's great. But I would say like the number one career advice, and this comes from from Jabu, would say to make sure that I'm doing things my way. And that has been so empowering to hear that from, you know, someone like her, she was actually the first head of HR at Airbnb really early on, and has built a successful business of her own. And to be able to hear that, like, oh, you can do it your own way has always been so inspiring. And so I try to honor that, you know, every time I think about my own business too. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely the reason for the podcast. I want people to know that everybody's career journey is not only unique, but whatever you feel is the right path or the right step for you is the right step. You know, people might not agree with you because they just can't see it and that's okay. Just follow your intuition on what your next step needs to be. So. Mm-hmm. Now, tell us from the last job you had, the last official, I guess, where you were an employee to where you are now. Share that story with us. Yeah, good question. Well, technically, I am an employee of my own business now. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I know what you're saying. The last job that I had, last full time job before I launched my own business, I was actually the program director for an accelerator that helps software engineers master the interview process. And so it's building a program and experience for our clients to be able to learn what it takes to land an amazing job. Especially, you know, for software engineers, the interview process is, is different than you would find for recruiters or marketers or et cetera. So that was my last full-time job. And then there I realized like, no, I really want to actually launch my own business. And so I transitioned and I founded Alegria HR Consulting. And what we do is we offer recruiting HR and people operations consulting services for early stage tech companies, and then also career coaching for individuals. And so on the career coaching side, typically that looks like one-on-one career coaching, which is my favorite thing to do. We're going to be launching some group coaching soon. And then we also have a blog, so careerlessons.co. And a lot of the content that we share is really targeted for women, first-generation professionals, Latinas, Black and Indigenous people of color. And so really making sure that career content is culturally relevant and also rooted in experience. Because on the consulting side, I'm usually in those rooms hearing how companies want to hire, how they're evaluating talent. And so it's such a privilege to be able to also be a career coach and 
build off of those insights. That is so awesome. Like from pre-K teacher to having your own HR consulting business. Amazing. Well, that's all of my official questions. Now, is there anything that you would like to share or expand on? I'm just really excited to be here. So in terms of things that are coming up, we're going to be sharing a lot more content on our blog. So careerlessons.co. And so definitely stay tuned for that. And then we're going to be launching some group coaching programs in the new year for folks who are on the job search. That's my specialty. So I'm super excited to launch that soon. That is exciting. Did you want to share your transition from San Francisco to the other coast? Yes, it was a long drive. I will say we drove through (laughs) Texas for a long time, but no, the transition has been great. We've honestly have been building community here in Greenville, South Carolina and getting to know different Latino communities. We've gotten plugged in with the Hispanic Alliance, which is a huge nonprofit here that does a lot of meaningful work for the Latino community. And so it's been really fun just being able to, to get to know another side of our country. That's amazing. Well, that takes strength just to be able to move out of state and then to go across the country is, I can't even imagine. I don't foresee myself leaving Texas or the region, but that's probably like 99% of all Texans. <laughs> I believe that (laughs) born Texans, I will say, because I'm sure there's Texans or the California Texans be coming in. But anyway, (laughs) you guys are welcome. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I'll have to visit you. (laughs) Yes. Yes. If you don't like when it's hot, make sure you come between November and January, maybe February. February is still cooler. Otherwise, it can get pretty hot and humid. It's more the humidity than the heat, really. But thank you so much for being here and sharing your journey. Yes. And for everyone, I will make sure to share all the links so that you can connect with Leslie and, you know, look forward to her blog and coaching programs that are coming up. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Manifest Your Career podcast with me, your host, Dr. Norma Reyes a career and mindset coach. Learn more today on manifestyourcareer.com.